everyone, and welcome back to Endless Possibilities, a podcast where we explore the unexplored. Hi, I'm Chloe Townsend. And I'm Nisuli Rathnayaka. Today, we will be talking about the original Rosa Parks, Claudette Colvin. You might be wondering who she is and why exactly she was given that title. So let's get started. Claudette Colvin is an African-American girl who was born on September 5th, 1939, and she grew up to become a pioneer civil rights activist, or as many people like to call her, the original Rosa Parks. Firstly, I don't like the original Rosa Parks because it makes her seem like she's a lot like Rosa Parks when she's a completely different person and deserves to be recognized that way. She was actually the woman who inspired Rosa and other members of the NAACP to take a stand. She took a stand on the bus just like Rosa Parks, but nine months before her. Lots of people, like me up until this point, have never heard of her before. They had only really heard or learned about what Rosa Parks did after Claudette. So I found this really shocking when I figured out that there had actually been someone who had done almost the same thing as Rosa Parks, but nine months before her and didn't get any recognition for it. Yeah, that part is really frustrating. Claudette grew up in a rural town in Pine Level, Alabama. This was about 30 miles away from Montgomery on a farm run by their aunt and uncle. By the way, I would have loved to live in a farm as a young kid, just to be able to like go outside and like the great outdoors was your backyard. You were surrounded by animals. I would have loved that so much. Yeah, but even as a small child surrounded by farm animals, she felt the burden of racial oppression. You didn't understand it, but you saw the differences. She recalls, I only interacted with white people when I left the farm and went to the general store to pick up supplies. That's where I learned about racism. That's so sad, having to learn about such a hard thing, in, especially in the Black community and, and people of color, for the people of color. It's such a hard thing that a lot of people had to go through, and have having to learn it at such a young age is probably another big traumatizing event that could happen to somebody. Yeah, when she was about six, waiting in line, when a group of white children began pointing and laughing, one little white boy approached me and said, let me see your hands. So I raised my hands up and then he approached me and he touched my hands. Almost immediately, her mother gave her a backhand slap across the mouth. I was crying, but that's when I realized we weren't supposed to touch each other. Oh my god, that's so sad. Especially having to learn it that way. Yeah. Brutality of white supremacy was quite violently manifested around her at a young age. Her neighbor, Jeremiah Reeves, a pupil at Booker T. Washington, who was just 16, was sentenced to death by an all-white jury for the rape of a white woman. 
Reeves had retracted a confession made under duress, prompting the intervention of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, NAACP. I find this really sad that at 16 these things happened, maybe even younger. They were all they were all convicted of random crimes. And really also back then you couldn't even be sure that they did those crimes because white people could just say whatever they wanted and they were considered to be telling the truth. Yeah. At the time Jeremiah was on death row, black men were saying don't look at a white woman you see walking down the street. Cross the street and pretend you have to tie your shoelaces. Do not make eye contact with white women. That's sad. Like, it's absolutely sad that you have to avoid someone just because of their skin color so much that you have to cross the entire street. Like, if you did that now, people would think you're a weirdo who just, like, who's just trying to, like, avoid society. <laughs> March 2nd, 1955, started off as a normal day for Claudette. School had just finished and Claudette had boarded the bus on her way back to her home. At the time, 15-year-old Claudette was attending Booker T. Washington High School. She had had a very insightful day at her school as she had just raised awareness of the mistreatment of her classmate, Jeremiah Reeves, who was 16 at the time and killed because of supposedly sexually assaulting a white woman. And she had also written a paper on the problems of downtown segregation, which I think is really great because like, I feel like you learn a lot about that stuff now but like as you grow older you kind of like fades away and and you don't learn about it as much i feel like it should be kind of like a topic that you kind of um surface sometimes just to jog your memory and to get you thinking you know anyways on the bus ride home that day the white section of the bus was filled up and a white woman was left standing and so the driver called out for the students in Claudette's row to stand up to give the white lady a spot. The whole row had to stand up just so the white woman would could sit down because if they sat down beside that those children, those black children, they were considered equals and that can happen because clearly back then they thought that they were a lot better. It's kind of narcissism to a whole new level. <laughs> anyway, Claudette's unplanned act of bravery was almost written out of civil rights history, which is true because you never learn of her story. Even though she did what Rosa Parks did nine months before Rosa Parks even did it, Rosa Parks gets all the attention about it. She has biographies written about her, she's been told about in classrooms. She's much more recognized than Claudette. And Claudette was only recognized until 40 years after she did what she did, which I find absolutely mind-blowing. Anyway, two cops roughly arrested her and pulled her off the bus. And in the patrol car, the officers mocked her and made comments about parts of her body very inappropriate comments. We're not going to say those. Anyways, 
She also said in a book, Claudette Colvin, Twice Towards Justice, that one of the police officers actually sat in the back seat with her, and this made her very scared that they would sexually assault her because this happened frequently. This is scary and this is sad. This shouldn't have this shouldn't have happened to anybody. The police are the people that you put your trust into as a society, as a community, to keep you safe, not to scare you away or make you feel unsafe. It's just so sad when we see this happening. Anyway, Colvin's case went to trial in May, and Colvin had been charged with three crimes. The judge strategically dropped two of the charges for disturbing the peace and breaking the segregation law, but found her guilty on the third for assaulting the officers who arrested her. How ironic. The officer had to sit in the back seat with her, just had to do that, even when they knew she probably felt uncomfortable. And they put, uh, they, they filed a complaint against her, basically, for assaulting them. It's completely absurd. Anyways, since Colvin had only been convicted of assault, appealing her case could not directly challenge the segregation law. The community was outraged, as they should be, and some people stayed off the buses. Ultimately, civil rights leaders deemed her not the kind of plaintiff to organize a boycott around because they were um, planning a bus boycott to raise awareness about segregation and how unlawful really it was. And there is a myth, however, that they dropped her because she was pregnant. Colvin was not pregnant when the community decided not to pursue her case. But later in the summer, Colvin found out that she had become pregnant by an older man. When this news came to light, Many felt further convinced that they had done the right thing in not pursuing her case. And over time, the stories would change so Colvin would be pregnant at the time of her arrest and trial, which was not the case. And okay, I kind of get where they're coming from by not pursuing her because of this, but I still feel like she should have gotten a chance to say what she needed to say because she would have done it gladly and it was her idea in the first place. You know what I mean? Yeah. At the time, Colvin was unfazed when Parks became the face of the bus boycott nine months later. She was actually pleased that adults in her community had followed in her footsteps and taken a direct stand. But retrospection leads to a different feeling now. This girl is so humble that she doesn't even mind. Like, I feel like I would want a little bit of recognition because it was my act in the first place but she didn't even need recognition she just did it because she felt that it was something good and something that needed to be changed in society and i respect her so much for that yeah they the local civil rights leaders wanted someone i believe who would be impressive to white people and be a drawing you know what i mean like the main star, and they didn't think that a dark-skinned teenager, low income without a degree, could contribute, she says. It's like reading an old English novel when you're the peasant and you're not recognized. Honestly, like, I feel like they still should have given her a chance, as, they, as I said before, because teenagers have done things, like, 
they've probably made a lot of things, a lot of differences in society through social media or through whatever they might make or, or spread awareness of things. Even though we might be the most annoying <laughs> homo sapiens at the time, we still do things. Anyways, two months into the bus boycott, her attorney, Fred Gray, approached her about a civil lawsuit that would become the Browder versus Gale case. And that whole case is a different story. Not going to go into the depths of that. But her attorney approached her for a civil lawsuit that would become this case. And anyway, the ruling, which was taken all the way to the Supreme Court, found that bus segregation was unconstitutional under the 14th Amendment. And Colvin was one of four plaintiffs to and testified in court to testify or and testified in court a few months after giving birth to her son, Raymond. And like any other episode in that period of time, she recalls it with complete clarity, which I also find amazing because I don't know if I would have forgotten, but I definitely wouldn't have remembered as much as she remembered because she said she remembered the smell of the coffee the prayer that she said with her family before leaving for court and i sure surely wouldn't remember all of that so that's just amazing <laughs> she faced hostile cross-examination by the city's white attorney walter nave but emerged as the star witness among four lead plaintiffs and she deserves all the attention she can get right now because 40 years after people still won't know who she is <laughs> anyway let's talk a little bit about the city legal strategy strategy well the city's legal strategy had essentially be been to frame the bus boycott as an orchestrated act of subversion directed by outside influences, namely Martin Luther King, and to argue that Montgomery's Black residents had been largely satisfied by public transportation laws before his intervention. Now, I'm not going to say anything about this whole thing, but you all who are listening can, can make your own opinion about this. Anyway, Colvin was just 16 when she took this stand, recalling in her biography how she batted away Nave's questioning. And here are some of the questions she asked her according to her. Why did you stop riding the buses on the 5th of December? He asked her. Because we were treated wrong, dirty, and nasty, she replied. And I give her applause for saying that because I wouldn't have been brave enough to say that. I probably wouldn't. I'm not even gonna lie. Anyways. She recalls it now with a smile, as I would if I did this, but she says it was a little like I was on stage and I had to give my best performance like I was doing a Shakespearean play, she recalls. But when the verdict came down in June 1956, none of the civil rights attorneys she had worked with told her. <laughs> Instead, she found out on the news. Which I find is kind of also good because when you find things out on the news, you're finding it out on a platform that everybody looks at. You feel more like a community and less like you're just part of a case and you need to pursue it. You know what I mean? Anyways, Colvin continued to struggle in Montgomery, still ostracized by local leaders in the Black community while enduring the racism of the South as her life moved on. As 
as her life moved on. And eventually she abandoned her dreams of becoming a civil rights attorney in her early 20s and moved to New York, becoming a nursing assistant. And she lives now happy and healthy as she should be. And now that I've told her story, we've told her story, I feel so much better and I hope you learned something today. Anyways, that was our episode for today. I hope you enjoyed and thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.